And so uh, this morning we look at this text uh, and what we just read is God saying to Ezekiel, you will be my prophet. You will speak truths to these people. And just know that when we think of the word prophet, and maybe it's attached to this word prophecy, where it's just all about having this psychic you know, ability to, to know what's going to happen in the future. And, and yes, that's part of it. But the Old Testament, the Jewish understanding of, of someone who is a prophet is, is one that hears from God, and God gives this person a message a reminder, a nudge of the way that they're living. And oftentimes, this nudge, this reminder of the message of the way that they're living is not good. And so Ezekiel is called by God to say, hey, you are going to go to the Israelites, your own people, and tell them that they are being rebellious. <clears throat> and again, as you can imagine, that doesn't always go well. So let's pray real quick, and then we will get started. God, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the dads in here. We thank you for those that have loved us. We thank you for those that we are called to love uh, in a motherly and fatherly way. And so God, remind us of that, not just today, but forevermore. We thank you for your word through Ezekiel, the calling on his life, the very unpopular pathway of vocation. Um, God, may we learn something from that as we can identify with him in our lives where we are called to very uncomfortable places in our lives. God, we pray for uh, both Ashley and David uh, and Amelia as they are going through the process of birth this very second. And so a happy Father's Day to David and to those here. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen. So for those of you that uh, know Ashley, our family ministry director, uh, she is in labor right now with Amelia. Uh, and uh, as you sit there, may we just pray for them, a healthy and safe delivery and celebration of life on this wonderful day. But life doesn't always end up that way. You know, we talk about birth and we talk about Father's Day and things are oftentimes so happy and yet sometimes we are dealt in life cards that we never wanted. And, and I could ask you to raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. I'm not going to do that because the reality is many of us would be able to raise our hand at that question. Uh, just a few days ago, I heard uh, that an acquaintance of mine in high school, which is many years ago, had recently passed away of lung cancer. It was quick. It was aggressive. And what I know about this person who just passed away uh, was that she was very healthy. She exercised. She ate healthy as she was supposed to. In her vocation, she was a respiratory therapist who worked with patients, and she knows something about uh, the physical and the human body and how it functions and, and what it looks like to be unhealthy and what it looks like to be healthy. Uh, and so she was working in this department, and yet the very cancer that took her life was lung cancer. And, and, and some of, uh, of what she wrote and what she said and what she's talked about, you can hear a sense of guilt and even shame in that because of her vocation, because of her lifestyle, and, and yet she was diagnosed with the very thing that she was unexpecting, that nobody would expect. Life, oftentimes, for you and for me, uh, we get dealt these cards that we never 
expected or never wanted. And we say these words, and maybe you have used these words before, uh, and the words go like this, this wasn't supposed to happen. Life wasn't supposed to end up like this. You can think of various ways in your life that you've been thrown curveballs. Maybe it was in a broken relationship. Maybe it was in your health. Maybe in a career trajectory that never came to fruition. Maybe it was within your own family, there's brokenness. Or maybe a family that you envision that 2.5 kids, white picket fence, and a golden retriever. It's always a golden retriever, right? And yet it's never come to fruition. Maybe it's a dream that seems so far, far away. And we look at the life of Ezekiel. And this whole book of Ezekiel is about his life being flipped upside down in many, in many different ways. And it's through these experiences of turbulence, of trial, of loss and grief that shapes Ezekiel into the person that he is and the prophet and the priest that he becomes. I mean, he's experienced so much grief in his life from, from a siege uh, of his nation, his community, the, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of what he was a part of was taken over by the Babylonians. The death of his wife from this siege and this captivity in chapter 24, we'll get to that later. And, and then in chapter 1 and 2, a sudden, uh, a sudden unexpected twist in his calling, which is really what chapter 1 and 2 is all about. And so we look at this context. It's important for us to look at the backdrop and see what's going on. In Ezekiel chapter 1, even though chapter 2 was kind of our, our, our base, I'm just going to read the first verse to you. It says, In the 13th year, in the fourth, or sorry, in my 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exile by the Kabar River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. And so Ezekiel chapter 1, just in that one verse, kind of sets up a lot of things uh, that's happening in his life right now and what tells the audience, the readers, of, of what is happening during this time. He was 30 years old, living in, in, living in exile, a refugee camp near the river in Babylon. And he's sitting and he sees this vision and that's what chapter 1 is all about. And it's this vision, it's this unfortunate calling in his life where God says, you will be my prophet. So a few observations as we continue to unpack this is that this was during a time of the Babylonian exile of the southern kingdom of Judah where Jerusalem was that? And so sometimes a visual helps. Visual helps me. I don't know if you can see that. The bottom, the yellow part, is the kingdom of Judah. It's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel. So, so ultimately, this whole thing is a kingdom of Israel, but it was split in half. And so several, like 150 years before this in Ezekiel, around 740 B.C., so I think 740 B.C., the kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians. 
And so back in uh, the Old Testament days, in the ancient Near East, what happens when it comes to taking over is that they would destroy the capital city. They would destroy. So the Assyrians came, destroyed the kingdom of Israel, and not only destroys them, but takes all their healthy and all their wise and everybody into their own land, into Assyria for this uh, intended purpose, to serve and be slaves and to work to improve that nation. And so uh, while the northern kingdom was being taken over and ravished and just completely destroyed, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, had about 150, 140 years uh, of nonviolence, of just kind of being comfortable. And this is where Ezekiel was from. But yet again, out of their own disobedience, out of their own arrogance, 140, 150 years later, uh, the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, the ones that took the northern kingdom in captivity. The Babylonians defeated them and then moved south and then took over the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. And and there was a few different um, invasions And the first invasion, 150 years later, in 597 B.C., uh, the Babylonians came, took the the people from the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, into captivity. But there wasn't much destruction of Judah, of the southern kingdom. The temple, because Jerusalem was there, the temple was still standing. There wasn't much harm to the nation, to the place. But the people were driven into captivity, and Ezekiel was one of them. And, and very intentionally, it says that uh, Ezekiel was in captivity, in exile, in Babylon, on the river, in most likely like a refugee camp amongst other uh, Israelites from the southern kingdom. And, and during this time, while he was on the river, he sees this vision. And, and that's what this vision entails in chapter 1, so I didn't go over that today, Uh, but if you have time, you can read what this vision might look like. I'll give you a little glimpse. While he was in this refugee camp, he was on this river, this river of Kabar, uh, and all of a sudden he saw a vision, and this is what the vision might have looked like. It says their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had a face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had a face of an eagle. Uh, and so this whole chapter was this vision that he saw, and, and really no one really knows what this vision obviously looked like because Ezekiel was just writing about his experience, uh, but it may have looked something like this. If you see to the bottom right, it's Ezekiel, it's a little comic, I, I, I love this, uh, it's from the Bible Project, by the way, and I think the Bible Project is really good in trying to uh, uh, illustrate, illuminate the scriptures. And so there's uh, Ezekiel sitting in the uh, refugee camp Uh, along the river, and then all of a sudden, he sees this vision. And this vision describes what the apparatus of what uh, God may have looked like and what God was sitting on this throne, uh, almost like a tabernacle on top, if you can notice. And and it's from this scene that God says, Ezekiel, uh, you will go to your people right now in exile together, basically those that are in the houses and the huts down the river, you're going to go to them and you're going to say, hey, the damage is not done yet. Yes, things are bad because we are in exile in Babylon right now. Uh, but God says, 
Ezekiel, your message to your people is it's going to get worse because of your rebellion. And here's what the rebellion was. They were taken into captivity, into Babylon, and instead of staying committed to the covenant of God, of Yahweh, uh, they abandoned God. The Israelites started worshiping false gods that led to violence, that led to injustice, completely left and abandoned their understanding, their covenant, their commitment to their living God, Yahweh, And because of that, God says, things are going to get worse. Jerusalem is now going to be destroyed. Right now it's not destroyed, but it will be destroyed because of your people's rebellious behavior and acts and habits. Not only that, but the temple will be destroyed. And you have to understand that life happened at the temple. That's where God resided. This was a very sacred and special place. This is because of your behavior, all of the Israelites and what they've done, they will receive the ultimate punishment of the temple in the nation of Judah being destroyed. That's what you're going to do. You will be my prophet. So what, what you have to know about Ezekiel is that before this time, before captivity, he was in training to be a priest. The one that would go to the temple to, to be an agent of God, to forgive sins, to do these religious ceremonies, to lead, ultimately be a pastor of a church. That's what he was trained to be all of his life. Even from a young age, he was called into the ministry of priesthood. You will be a priest. That's what he knew. That's what he understood. And in verse 1, it says, Ezekiel was 30 years old. It says, on his 30th year. Now, that was very intentional because in the ancient Near East, on the 30th year of a priest, when they're 30 years old, that's when they were ordained officially into the priesthood. There were ceremonies, there were rituals. Uh, In the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it talks about uh, what the ceremony would look like. That when you hit 30 years old and you're trained to be a priest, that is when you will officially become licensed or ordained or, or whatever it is to make it official. And yet, on his 30th year, when he's expecting to be ordained, even in, this, uh, even in exile, ordained to be a priest, something that he's been training, uh, training for all of his life, something that he's been told that he, what he's going to be, something that he envisioned, that, something that he had planned out all of his life, I'm going to be a priest, and, and this year I'm going to be ordained. God intervenes and says, you're actually going to be a prophet. Can you imagine the dismay that Ezekiel may have felt to go from priest, something that he's envisioned for his life, all of his life, then to be told that he was going to be a prophet. And one of my favorite Old Testament scholars is a, is a Jewish scholar named Abraham Heschel. Uh, and I love <clears throat> what he says about prophets. He says this, and I'll just read it to you, just a paragraph. Over the life of a prophet, words are invisible, invisibly inscribed. All flattery abandoned to those who enter here. To be a prophet is both a distinction and an affliction. The mission he performs is distasteful to him and repugnant to others. No reward, no reward is promised him, and no reward could temper its bitterness. The prophet bears scorn and reproach. 
He is stigmatized as a madman by his contemporaries and by some modern scholars as completely abnormal. And listen to this, loneliness and misery were the only part of the reward that the prophets received. <clears throat> this was his new life. His life would, would forever be changed by this shocking news that he had never expected. You see, he had everything planned out. And yet, surprise after surprise after surprise, from captivity to loss, and now this, and now this. And if you want to understand about life being taking crazy turns and curveballs and, and being handed cards that you never wanted, Ezekiel knew exactly what that was about. And we sitting here, the hard part is we've been conditioned to think so differently in our lives. We've been conditioned to believe that as long as I do X, then Y will happen. It's almost like this perfect graph, if you guys remember, X and the Y axis. As long as I do X, then Y will happen. Then I do X, then Y will happen. As long as I eat this way and exercise X, then I'll be healthy. Y will happen. As long as I go to school, as long as I get this job, then my outcome will be fulfilled. Y will happen. As long as I raise my child in this way, X, in this way, then they will turn out like this, Y. As long as I do these things in this relationship, then Y will happen. We have, we, we have been conditioned into uh, believe this lie that says as long as we do it this way, then here's the outcome that will happen. That just simply isn't true. As one mother who lost a child in a senseless school shooting says, we enter into a club we never asked to be in. See, many of us, for a variety of reasons, we have entered and become members of a club that we never, ever wish for. Like Ezekiel, becoming priest to prophet, we in our lives become one person to the next due to experiences, due to hardship, due to loss, due to a different direction that God may have driven us towards. And, and at this point, we have a choice. Whenever we get dealt with these specific cards, whenever we get entered into a club that we never asked for, whenever life throws us a curveball, and, and like I said, if there's anything that binds this room together, I know that we have different political beliefs, we have different uh, spectrums of theological perspectives and different philosophies of life, uh, different even religions, different aspects of faith. Maybe you are a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian. One thing that binds us together is this universal understanding that all of us have or will experience loss and pain and despair at some point in our lives. And when we get to that point, we have a choice. And the choice often looks like this. We can run towards fear that leads to hiding, or we can run towards God that gives us courage. Especially if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, we tend to, to, to come to this intersection 
often. We become tempted at this intersection often. We hit this point uh, that we end up with two options. Either we can run and hide or we can become known and be seen and be vulnerable with the strength that God has given us. And oftentimes, uh, embarrassingly enough for me, I would have to say the choice is very, very difficult. The answer might be obvious, but the response is so difficult. And I love this shift that we see from Ezekiel. We see this uh, shift from fear to faithfulness. And we read this um, in chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2. It says this. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking to me. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and, I, and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. I love this image. Here is Ezekiel going through a complete life transformation. Not only is he uh, kicked out of, of his home in, in the southern kingdom, not only is he experiencing loss, later it says that through this expulsion, he lost his wife. Not only that, that his complete understanding of what his future would look like as a priest was completely robbed from him, and not only robbed from him, but replaced with this calling to be a prophet, a ministry, a job that nobody ever would wish, even on their worst enemy. And here is Ezekiel. When he approaches God, Ezekiel falls face down. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when, I've, when I'm experiencing this kind of hardship, this kind of pain, that's all I can do. I can just fall straight on my face. And whether that's physically or figuratively, we go into hiding, we go into closing our eyes, we go into uh, running away. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there was an image of Ezekiel out of fear, out of pain, out of uncertainty. He can do nothing but just fall down. And helplessness. And not knowing what to do in weakness. And I love what God says here from that throne. He says, get up. He says, get up. I love that part. He says, get up. Then I will speak to you. Then I will call you. And then you will have a new life with a new strength and a new foundation. And so for many of us, what God is saying that in our moments of fear, of shame, when we have no choice but to be fallen down, covering our faces, God says, get up. I'm with you. I am with you. And for Ezekiel to know that God was with him changed everything. And there was this shift from this utter fear to a relentless faithfulness as he pursues his calling to be a prophet. There was a shift from being face down to standing up. And it was because Ezekiel says he was filled with the Spirit. And that Spirit of God filled him with strength to stand up 
in the midst of all sense of weakness and loneliness, to hear from God, to be strengthened by God. And again, so many of us, including myself, when we experience times of twists and turns and and uncertainties and shocks, we fall into one of two modes. Either we go into, how do I fix this? And maybe you're like me. How do I change this? How do I get myself out of this predicament? How do I make this better out of my own fear and anxiety and uncertainty? All I want to do right away is make this experience change, and I want to fix something. I want to do something different. And sometimes that's not always the way it works. Or or maybe the other uh, side of this is we clam up and we go into hiding. Either way, both of these may look different, but the root of this is all the same, and it comes from a place of fear. And I believe the better question to ask is not, how do I fix this? It's not, where can I hide? But it's, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, he continues, says, And you, son of man, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid through briars and thorns. They'll all be around you, and you will live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. Verse 7 says, You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Verse 8, but you, son of man, Ezekiel, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give to you. I love that God doesn't promise a happy ending. God doesn't promise or, or give a vision of what it's going to look like after you do the hard job of what I've called you to do. God ultimately says, your job is to be faithful and that's it. You can imagine the fear in Ezekiel's eyes when all this shock is just overwhelming him. When he's called into the ministry of being a prophet, the job that nobody wants, God says, in your fear, you are sitting down. In your fear, you've covered your head. In your fear, you have closed your eyes. And God says, I'm speaking to you. Will you stand up and rise? And I love that imagery of just confidence. That even in the midst of what he knows, that this is going to be a terrible life, he stands up the way that God asks him to stand up and says, and God's response is, and do not be afraid. And God says, not only do not be afraid, but just be faithful. You know what the ministry of, uh, of what it looks like to be a priest. You know what it looks like to be a prophet. I have called you to be a prophet. You know your job. I want you to speak to the people, even if it's bad news, even if the people that will, that will rebel against me and to you, no matter how they respond, it doesn't matter how they respond, whether they love you, whether they hate you, it doesn't matter. Your job is to be faithful, and that's it. There's no promise of things getting better here in in these verses. 
As a matter of fact, if God promises anything, God promises that your life is going to be very difficult due to this new calling. And yet I need you to rise, Ezekiel. Stand up. Because what gives Ezekiel strength to stand in the midst of this is being filled with the Spirit that transcends anything, any fear that one might have. And says, no matter what the outcome will be, just be faithful. And so for many of us, faithfulness is always contingent. I will do this as long as I know that why will happen. I will live in this fashion, in this way, because then and only then do I know this future will unfold in this way. I'll take these risks. I will be vulnerable. I will give of myself. I will serve. I will give of my resources. I will do the hard thing. I will do the work. I will have hard conversations. I will seek repentance. I will seek forgiveness. I will confess. As long as I know that the outcome is going to be good and in my favor. And God promises no such thing. I had a former college student uh, just a few days ago. He gave me a call. And I only hear from him. I love him to death. I, I often hear from him when he needs advice as if I have good advice to give him. And he calls me. Uh, and, you know, you know when people want something, they start like, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Good, good. Hey, what's up? And then just unloads on you because there's a real reason why I called. And so he calls me, and we do a little bit of catching up, and he says, Prentice, okay, the real reason I called is I need your advice. Uh, and, and whenever a college student or a young person calls me and asks me for advice, ironically, it's about relationships, and as if I know much about them myself. And he says this, he says, Prentice, I'm in a dilemma. Okay, what's your dilemma? He says, I like this girl, and I think this girl likes me, but, you know, things aren't progressing, and I don't know what to do. And, and I, you know, we started talking, and I don't want to divulge too much, but at the end of the day, my question back to him was, okay, are you being honest? Because they've entered into this game. Well, I'm not going to go this much further because you're not going to go this much further. I'm not going to show my cards because you're not going to show your cards. And it's this unending cycle of what you would call playing the game. And if you've ever been in a relationship, pursued one, or, or been wanting to be in one, or whatever it is, we've all experienced this idea of playing the game. And I told this young man, I said, look, forget the game. Forget dishonesty. Forget manipulation. Your job is just to be honest. That's it. Just be honest with where you're at, you know, share your feelings, uh, and, and don't make it contingent upon what, what she might do at the end of it. Because what was happening was something that we've all experienced. Well, I'll only take that risk if I know that that risk will pay off. We'll only, you know, have that conversation as long as I know that there will be reconciliation. I'll know I'll make this investment to whatever it is as long as I know that the return will be bigger than what I've invested in the first place. 
and it just seemed to embody the very things that we experience in our own lives. And I get this text this morning. I was asleep, but I get this text in the morning at 1, like 1.30 in the morning that says, Prentice, thank you so much for your advice. We had a four-hour conversation, and it went great. Now, I still don't know how it went. To be, to, to be honest, for all I know, Nothing could have happened. Maybe they've broken off, and, 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 that's, and that's great. That's a win, too. Or maybe they're on their way to Vegas right now uh, for whatever. I don't know. But what I'm saying is it doesn't matter because what was most important and what paid off for him is this relief that he was honest and that he did his part no matter what the ending might look like or unfold as because he didn't know. And the application in this whole story that we learn from Ezekiel is that a lot of us, many of us, we will all be dealt these cards that we never wanted. Many of us were in the valleys right now, right this very moment. Many of us were in the deepest of valleys. And all we want to do with all of our might is do something to fix it, to change the situation. All we want to do with our very might is to hide, is to dig a deeper hole and just to cover up. When in this moment, God is saying, rise up. Doesn't that give you chills? Like God is saying, stand up because I will give you strength being filled with the Holy Spirit. So be my prophet and just be faithful. Serve the person you've always been scared to serve. Go interact with people that you've been always afraid of or had ignorance towards. Uh, Go seek repentance. Say you're sorry. Repair relationships. Love one another. I don't know what this calling might be for you, but the, but the point and the application of Ezekiel in these chapters are saying, just be faithful. Just be faithful. And sometimes faithfulness is the most difficult path. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's the most unconventional path. And it's antithetical to the world's wisdom. Because it's the longer route, it's the harder route, it's the more painful route. But it's the honest route, it's the correct route. It's a route that God is most glorified in and through us. And I love, I love when people say, it's these hard times, these trials that make you stronger. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I feel like that just ends up being just a nice platitude. Because it just simply isn't true. Trials and hardships, they don't necessarily in itself make us stronger. It's how you show up that makes the difference. And the question is, what does it look like to be faithful? In other words, not just what it looks like to be faithful, but what does it look like in the most terrible circumstances, what does it look like for you to show up in the best version of yourself, in the version where God calls you and you are most alive in? I've been reading this book called The Second Mountain. It's by David Brooks. He's a a writer for the New York Times and He talks about these mountains, the first mountain and the second mountain. Oftentimes, the first mountain is all about our own selves and what we can accomplish 
all of our earnings, all of our accomplishments. And somewhere along the line, through difficult times and and reaching the valleys, we we realize that the first mountain that we're on has been a false mountain, a mountain that we don't belong in, a mountain that does not bring us joy, and there's a second mountain over there. And that second mountaintop experience is about, it's the very opposite of the mountain, the first mountain that we're on. It's about loving, it's about generosity, it's about giving, it's about contributing, it's about uh, uh, community, belonging. And what we see is that it's not until we move from the first mountain through whatever we've experienced to the second mountain that we will uh, experience joy that the second mountain brings. We'll never experience that unless we move off the first mountain to the second mountain. And sometimes that movement starts with us standing up and saying, God, I'm here. And having confidence that being filled in the spirit that we are filled with also courage and bravery to just be faithful. And as we move out of our own faithfulness to the second mountain, that we experience joy that's not contingent upon circumstances, but everlasting because it comes from an everlasting God. So as I invite the, the worship band, the band back up as we reflect, my question is this. How can we be more faithful? What is it in life that you, like Ezekiel, might be going through, twists and turns and valleys? Maybe it's time for us to move, to stand up and go towards this second mountain that brings us joy that's not contingent, upon anything or anybody else, but being confident in our identity in the resurrected Christ. I'm going to pray and we'll continue in worship. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, through your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, we can experience this new second mountain life no matter what our circumstances are. God, thank you for working the life of Ezekiel. Thank you for filling him with your spirit that he may be bold and courageous and not be afraid. God, what wonderful news it is that very same spirit we're also filled with. In our moments of weakness, mourning, loss, grief, may we, be have, may we have the ability to stand up faithful and convict us of what that means to us. What does it mean for us to just be faithful in that season of our life? Give us the courage to do it. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.